0: Burn and Return, a weekly one-hour podcast covering news from the agricultural and turfgrass industries. What is going on, everyone? Welcome to another weekly episode of sound effects, Burn and Return uh i'm gonna be your host my name is matt the grass Factor martin and alongside me today are two ultra special ultra fine incredibly sexy gentlemen mr ryan DeMay and rayito gentlemen how are y'all doing this evening
1: well thanks for the uh thanks for the confidence boost there going into that, I, I, I feel better already <laughs> you deserve it. i i think i might I, I might have a semi now so yeah uh looking forward to it here gentlemen it's a uh it's an action-packed week. There's lots going on. And you know what? Everybody's been asking and saying to me, Ray, that, uh, mm-hmm. man, how are how you guys going to have stuff to talk about? The grass isn't growing and all this and that, but it seems like, you know, shit's heating up here. There's a lot more to talk about now than uh, middle of summer, don't you think?
2: I, th- I think so. I mean, basically, uh, stuff's happening uh, within the, uh, you know, green and agricultural industry uh still yet uh it's as if uh we've uh gone out of uh actual work to uh now is the time of fuckery
1: (laughs) no doubt no doubt and you know what you know who loves fuckery and talking about it is our dear host matt the grass factor martin (laughs)
0: I do. Absolutely. I get jazzed up on on just about anything, right? I mean, in all honesty, goodness, you could put a rabbit in front of me, and I'd find something to get real panicky about. So, uh, you know, take it from what it is, but
1: it makes for decent
0: entertainment, to say the
1: least. Yeah, I mean, As hey, if, the rabbit, if, uh, you know, here's what you have to do, Matt. If it, if it is the rabbit, worst case, if something bad happens to the rabbit, we're looking at four keychains here, right? So it's not all bad. <laughs> Yeah,
0: and that's the good news. Good luck.
2: Yeah. Yes. Four good luck keychains. So, not everything's bad. <laughs>
0: not everything. Um, It's just, unfortunately, in this unprecedented time, Um, I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb and say that the majority, the majority of what we're experiencing right now is not necessarily good. Uh, bad may be a strong, a strong, a uh, 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 pre- a a strong word to use to say it's all bad. It's just it's never been expected, and it's scary. And uh, and you know when when my fight or flight kicks in, I get I get I get real panicky. You know, and I'm I'm kind of in that I'm kind of in that fight or flight mood every time I open up and read the news about anything related to the green industry.
1: You know, I was at a a pretty large industry event this week, guys. About a thousand or so people. All you know, turf, gra- or turf grass professionals. So golf, sports turf care, and I think the majority of folks there have no idea about what's going on in the marketplace. And I don't mean that to say like they're they're naive or they're idiots or anything like that. I just think everybody's so busy and wrapped up in the fact that they're understaffed or there's so much work or whatever it is that's going on in their own world right now that they're not able to look out three or six or nine months and see that, you know, again, is it all bad? Mm. It doesn't look good, but, man, it's just – that's the scary thing to me is that there's going to be a lot of people that don't heed the warnings, don't see the writing on the wall and get themselves in a bad spot. So that was something – that was one of my takeaways from this week of just going through it and talking to folks in a variety of different settings, you know, – you know, budgets, revenues, everything like that, and not a whole lot of people are really clued in on what's going on. So it'll be interesting. At least here, I can tell. You, I can say that for certain.
0: I had someone accuse me of being an alarmist, and uh, and this is an old head, and no I boy. was like. Yeah, yeah, you knew I, I I took to that real well, and luckily, me and this person have <laughs> enough of a of a solid relationship that you know we can argue about things and and still drink beer actually, right, but <laughs> um, you know, I was like, well, you know, could be, I I could be, and I would I would rather teeter that side of things right now just because. Um, it is it is not good. It may it may not be bad for everybody, right? Shortages may not be affecting everybody. Uh people still may be able to broker some deals right now to to be able to to get some some real deal supplies in. However, already, and this is according to our own surveys that are taking place in uh in in our uh in our Discord here, is that already we're seeing we're seeing pretty significant shortages starting starting to creep in. You know, when you have a major, major regional supplier talking about they only have 5,000 bags of prodiamine left, that is nothing compared to what these guys normally inventory. And more so, that is nothing compared to what these guys sell in a given pre-emergent season. And this is one of the major regional distributors. It is not a national brand, but pretty much big enough to be one, at least on the Eastern half of the United States. And I'm not going to mention them by name. Um, But, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a very serious thing that's going on. Um, You know, there's, there's another, I I would say a a bit more uh, localized to the, to the Midwest. Um, They have only a few, uh, they have less than a thousand bags available. Less than a thousand. That's one tractor trailer. Um, gentlemen, there's a lot of companies out there that go through multiple truckloads and around. Um, and if you think your state doesn't have one, you've lost your damn mind. Uh, because not only does your state have one, you probably have a city that has one too. And if that is your key distributor in your city and they're scooping up that much material and the distributor, the key distributor in that area only has one truckload of material that is not good. So, If that constitutes me being an alarmist, then by all means, I'm glad to be the alarmist.
1: Uh, That's the thing that I don't understand why people, I don't understand why people can't just pick up the phone and call and say, hey, what do you have? You know, what can you get me? And, And not to think about it in the context of, you know, 2021 and supply chain this and kind of what we've gotten used to, but just think about how it's been you know, before 2020, you know, 2020 or 2019 going back even, you know, just a year or two and realizing you could pick up the phone and get as much as you want. I mean, if you called up then and said, I wanted to buy all my fertilizer for 2022, you know, buy a year in advance all right now. I mean, you'd have sales reps tripping over each other to come get your business. Mm -hmm. Right. And now it's like, Ooh, Hey, how about we just talk about round one? Like, let's just get through that and then we'll see where things are. Like, there's nobody, right, that's super jazzed about trying to sell you this. Now, if they are and they have it, great. Like I I do think that there are places that have some stuff socked away. I know that right now, you know, to your point, Matt, these places that only have, you know, very very limited stock that are le- that's left uh that pales in comparison to some of the national brands that right now there are blenders still making a ton of fertilizer for them, right? And so these others, you know, I want to say smaller, but these other smaller uh, companies are being boxed out. They're being said, hey, we're either going to put you on allocation, which means you can only get, you know, a certain percentage of what you got last year, or um, you're just, you're frozen right now. We can't get you product until we are making it for you. And so obviously these companies, these blenders have, you know, gone the route of, trying to take care of their biggest customers, their biggest contracts and fulfill those and then let the chips fall where they may and that's going to fall directly down to us as consumers and if you're not ready for it, Ray, I don't don't know. I mean, again, this is going to be that whole, I I used the analogy last time of the chef that's just given a bunch of ingredients and said, hey, I need you to make a dish out of this, something that's world-class, you know, that makes this lawn look good, go figure it out. And who's gonna mm-hmm. be able to do that? Who's gonna be able to do that? And I don't say that, you know, you know, mockingly or uh you know judgmentally. I'm just no, asking you're, the you're just telling, if you're, no, you're ask just that, telling like ask it like it is Ask that question of yourself. Yeah, ask that question yeah. of yourself as an applicator. Can you figure that shit out? Because you're gonna have mm-hmm. to.
2: Because I mean you are going you're to have, have to, to. no data Yeah, because all along people have been condensing things and oversimplifying things and as a result of that oversimplification they are now no longer agile because true or false all of these high volume lawn applicators they're all used to throwing down 512 or something similar with prodiamine on it or 512 plus uh, imidocloprid. You know They're used to that. But what happens when the same guys can't get the tractor trailers loaded with that pre-made material and now they have to formulate and now they have to apply?
1: Shit, Let's I'll, see how I'll it goes down episode- now. I'll back it up a step further. Imagine if some of these some of these folks and again, mm-hmm. not being judgmental, I'm just saying, have to calibrate, right? What if I get a product mm-hmm. that's a you know, 25, five, ten, and then, you know, hey, I've got to go out because the only thing that's left is like a you know, a 1505 or something like that. Mhm. I've seen uh, you know, I've seen and heard from people that have been like, "Well, I just run it at the same setting. Wait, what's what's the old uh, saying there, Matthew? G for grow, L for lush."
0: That's right. mm mm-hmm. Mhm that's mm-hmm. right now we're uh now we're uh a for ain't got nothing and uh and b for barely anything at all and, and that's, uh, you know, that's, yeah. that's just all that's, that's the truth thank right now that's the truth that's uh, the how truth about, how
1: about how about how about some companies you know they'll do this hey how about d for didn't do it but i'm still gonna send you an invoice motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> All right, <laughs> gentlemen.
0: let's jump into this week's headlines Our first headline here is the world is so desperate for manure. Even human waste is a hot commodity. Wait, 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 wait. No, I'm sorry. That was the second one. But you know what? We'll go with it because I already read. it. Forgive me. I don't know where my head is right now. I need to pull it out of my ass to be able to get (laughs) through this. But we'll start here. The market for manure from pigs, horses, cattle, and even humans has never been so hot thanks to a global shortage of chemical fertilizers. Just ask Andrew Whitelaw, a grains analyst at Thomas Elders Markets based in Melbourne, Australia, who runs a commercial pig farm in his spare time. Whitelaw said he's completely sold clean of animal waste as farmers hunt for alternatives to the more commonly used phosphate and nitrogen based fertilizers that are vital to boosting crop yields. We don't have any left, he said. In a normal year, you'd probably get a couple phone calls a year, not a couple phone calls a week. It may be some time before he sees the interest in pig poop taper. Prices of synthetic fertilizer, which rely on natural gas and coal as raw materials, have soared amid an energy uh, shortage and export restrictions by Russia and China. That's adding to challenges for agricultural supply chains at a time when global food costs are near record high, and farmers scramble for fertilizers to prevent losses to global crop yields for staples. The green market's North American Fertilizer Price Index is hovering around an all-time high of $1,072.87 per short ton, while in China, spot urea has soared more than 200% this year to a record. The demand for dung is playing out globally. In Iowa, manure is selling for between $40 and $70 per short ton, up about $10 from a year ago, the highest level since 2012. According to Daniel Anderson, assistant professor at Iowa State, and a specialist on manure, manure is mostly a local market and truckloads won't go further than 50 miles, Anderson said. When crop fertilizer and manure prices soared about a decade ago, more farmers introduced animals such as hogs and cattle onto their land in part for their manure. That option could again be on farmers' minds as fertilizer costs soar. In Australia's Queensland state, Brian McLean, general manager of an organic fertilizer company, said that sales of his poultry manure compost are going through the roof. There wouldn't be enough in total. He sold about 15,000 tons of the stuff, compared to around 2,000 tons the same time last year. Not only in the UK, not only are farmers scrambling for animal compost, but many are trying to get their hands on biosolids. David Butler, who farms wheat, oats, and peas in Wiltshire, the southwest of England, has traditionally relied on his own herd of cows to produce animal waste that he uses for his crops. In rural area still requires significant tonnage of synthetic fertilizer. Butler said since animal waste from his farm is not enough, he has been buying biosolids from a utility, Thames Water, which produces over 700, 750,000 meters squared of sludge each year for farmers across Britain's southeast. However, Butler said that there's increasingly it's increasingly difficult to source human manure. Uh, There is more demand than supply for biosolid material. In the U.S., the EPA regulates biosolids, blah, 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 blah. While manure is an inexpensive inexpensive alternative to pricey synthetic fertilizers, it is a poor replacement for those accustomed to traditional fertilizer products, uh, it says Bloomberg Green Market Alexis Maxwell. For example, the fertilizer diammonium phosphate has six times the nitrogen and 15 times the phosphate as manure on a per-ton basis. So here we see, and it goes on to say, uh, they've now realized how much better off they are using organic products. They'll be making it a permanent thing in their rotations. Potentially, maybe um, we'll see how that ends up playing out. Uh, because we came from a time where that was predominantly what we used, and then we moved to the synthetics. Are we going to go back there and maintain the same level of output? You know, again, I'm not against using organic fertilizers. I think there's some definite advantages there, but there's also some definite disadvantages there. And uh, you know, it comes down to your management skills to make it all a reality. But what's most important in the topic du jour here is that. Boys, what happens when you run out of, when you run out of uh, a conventional fertilizer? You go get your MP&K wherever the hell you got to get your MP&K. And that means all those organically enhanced biosolid blends that we saw uh, flooding the market over the last three years, turns out, may not be there anymore.
1: Hmm... Yeah, you know, you run out of the uh, the top shelf stuff, and then you're down to the well liquor, right? And then finally, at some point, you're into that uh, peach schnapps that's been in the back of the liquor cabinet since uh, '94, Ray. Right? We've all been there. But no, this is uh, this the the thing that was (laughs) right. Put an ice cube in there. It'll be fine. Thin it out a little bit. God, I don't even want to think about that right now. Um.
3: (laughs) Anyhow, (laughs) is it?
1: tastes like kool-aid that you know you would never drink but hey it's it's time so uh the thing that was striking to me about this article was just how you know again global perspectives you know looking at europe looking at australia and looking into the united states here domestically just how uh, again the demand is surging here and as we've talked about now for a number of weeks just again, this is you know somebody thinking hey i, I can pivot to here right i can't get synthetic fertilizers, right? Whether it be NP or K. So I'm going to pivot over here and do this and predominantly ag market. But certainly I think you're going to see it turn to that turf market. You've already seen, and again, we talked about it a little bit, but didn't get too deep into the wormhole, but uh, a number of these organic manufacturers that are trying to uh, make that pivot seem mm, easier and more palatable, right? A little bit, you know, on the price point of saying, oh, hey, look, you know, you got this bag over here, and it's X dollars, and you got this bag over here at Y dollars, and it's a lot closer now, so why not use it, right? Why not use it? Well, but okay, I, here's the thing. Uh, I have a
2: specific prohibition against manure or biosolid-based products in my program.
3: It's specifically prohibited.
2: Why is that hygienic and actually environmental reasons?
3: Number one, go, go on. Okay. Number one, I don't know
2: what else is in that biosolid type material. Number two, can you imagine me making someone's neighborhood smell like uh how's the Alawai Canal smelled back uh say in 2006, Not happening.
1: Yeah, it probably That's smells a, like not, a uh, Tour de France rider's butt crack after you know the Pyrenees stage. Exactly.
0: And something even about the Pyrenees stage that gets me every time. And even
2: something like a An ass crack too. I mean, a, a poultry manure based product. I cannot imagine bringing that into a neighborhood either. That, that's a no go
1: uh you know what the thing the thing about all this is is you know we we talk about the the here and now and you know watching people start to make these value judgments but i will be very interested to see and i certainly hope it doesn't cause a problem but in different markets and in different places pro applicators right in turf especially bringing this into the marketplace and i'm not talking like you know nature safe or something like that i'm talking like biosolids and stuff like that Uh, is there is there going to be a place where they bring on the market and it causes a problem right yes
0: and i'll tell you how we're going to know about that and that's going to take us right into our next article here i don't know if you teed me up for that but i mean it is absolutely perfect for for how this is going (laughs) to play out uh it reads like this uh, researchers awarded $1.9 million by the EPA to study potential risks from pollutants in biosolids. A team of John Hopkins researchers in the Department of Environmental Health and Engineering, a cross-divisional department under the Whiting School of Engineering and the Bloomberg School of Public Health, has been awarded roughly $2 million from the EPA to study contaminants in treated sewage sludge or biosolids. The team led by Karsten Prass will identify and measure organic pollutants in biosolid samples, trace their movement in agricultural runoff and leaching, and quantify their uptake into food crops. Using advanced modeling approaches, the team will also, eliminate, uh, will also uh, estimate people's health risk due to exposure to these compounds through farm contact and from eating food grown with biosolids. Since the banning of Ocean dumping in 1991, biosolids have been increasingly applied to agricultural land, forest parks, golf courses, home gardens, and lawns. We know very little about the organic chemical contaminants in biosolids. This information is critical to the development of strategies to understand exposure to potential public health risks. Biosolids are created when the, during the wastewater treatment process, blah, 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 blah. Um, biosolids can also contain a variety of pollutants. Some of the main offenders are uh, per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances, or PFAS, um, which are found in nonstick cookware, carpets, food packaging, uh, triclosan. Uh, and antimicrobial found in personal care products and unmetabolized pharmaceuticals. That being the most frightening aspect of all of this Of all of all this to me. Use or- of organic chemicals like PFOS and antimicrobial chemicals has dramatically increased over the last 10 to 20 years. But regulation of biosolids is so far almost exclusively focused on pathogens and inorganic contaminants such as metals, right? You have to do a heavy metal analysis whenever you produce an organic fertilizer and you're testing for things like cyanide, arsenic, all that fun stuff, right? Utilities and states need information on these pollutants to ensure that they are processed, handled, and used in such a way that minimizes potential harm. The research has implications for consumers, farm workers, who may be exposed to biosolids through various pathways. Um, it has a, a uh, star-studded uh, team of Kiev Natchman, and Thomas Burke. I honestly don't know who they are, but I'm going to look into who these guys are. That's for sure. Uh, they'll advise the project and lead the team's advisory board, which includes representatives from the biosolid industry, farmers and farm associations, and regulators. Our project has a solid foundation in the laboratory, but we will directly engage with stakeholder and regulatory communities beyond the scientific community to ensure our research can inform waste management-related public health interventions. Arming consumers and regulators with information can make biosolids safer, but Pratt says it can also help inform what goes into consumer products in the first place. We need to think about the chemicals we use in our household and industries uh, that are potentially problematic, why we use them, whether we really need them, and can we just take them out. So interesting here I I'll tell you that 1.87 million dollars to research this is not a significant amount of of money um but uh, you know it's it's a start and I don't know who will be the lobbying groups against this but I would be willing to bet there are going to be some there's going to be significantly more money than 1.87 million dollars uh, to fight this from from proceeding, or at least whatever's determined from it, from seeing the light of day. Listen, I you know I don't know the answers to all this. Obviously, the research is still ongoing. You know, there's a lot of anecdotal stuff about, and I wouldn't even say it's anecdotal. There have been instances of uh, PFOS contamination. Uh, there has been instances of uh, pharmaceutical contamination, and specifically, the pharmaceutical thing freaks me out. Right, because um, you know if whatever your wastewater treatment facility cleanup process does leaves behind all the Depakote and uh, uh, whatever, um, you know, a fraction of the population is all hooked on antidepressants or whatever is in the the waterways. And all of a sudden, you know, now we're being selective serotonin reuptake inhibited uh, all day long. It just, it's, it's kind of creepy or we think about it from the standpoint of uh, these advanced MRSAs and shit like that, right? That, I, I, you know, are we constantly being exposed to micro doses of antibiotics or could we, all this could come out? And the only thing we see out of it is that ah, occasionally we have a little bit of a, of a high heavy metal load, uh, but outside of that, nothing is really making it through to, to any, any kind of uh, excess. Who knows what okay. we're going to see, but I'm glad at least now we're going to take a look at it. And, uh, and at least qualm a lot of the fears that may be warranted or unwarranted
2: talk to me okay. Ray what you hey listen <laughs> Ray
1: right, yeah go ahead Ray
2: okay here's my you know thoughts as far as what could potentially be coming through a wastewater stream number one birth control pills Number two, uh, as you said, the uh, psychiatric medications. And number three, antibiotics. And by the way, a lot of our pharmaceuticals, what they, you know, my understanding of the chemistry of a lot of our pharmaceuticals is that a lot of our current pharmaceuticals are fluorinated. And by fluorinating them, that has the effect of decreasing metabolism of that molecule via living things. Like, for example, fluoxetine, what that is, is that is Prozac, which is an SSRI, and its backbone is fluorine. and you know what human half-life on a on a Prozac is, Matt?
0: I, I, I don't. I honestly don't.
2: Over a week. Over a week. You take a Prozac, and it's going to be circulating in your system for over a week. For example, a uh, very popular antibiotic, Ciprofloxacin. Cipro. That's very commonly used for you know killing off infections that are serious that too has a very prolonged half-life and it basically resists degradation and metabolism so that's just you know a small example of what ends up in wastewater and you know when i say resistant to degradation it also resists degradation via the aerobic and anaerobic microorganisms that are normally used in a wastewater treatment plant to reduce various contaminants. So I see this is something that's very important to look into, find out what exactly is surviving the current wastewater treatment processes. I mean, I, I, I'd want to know
1: i think that's a no uh, a worthy question to answer. I think the other thing here too is just as we found with manures and best practices and things of that nature here over the last you know oh dozen to twenty years or so is what are the best practices so they talk about you know plant uptake uh and how much is actually- actually metabolized by the plant in terms of this particular ant so I'm assuming that they're gonna use radioactive labelled n and try and figure this out but mm-hmm. insofar as you've got people that are probably making applications that are, I'm going to guess, significantly higher than they need to be in order to lose this stuff or because it's so cheap or this or that or the other thing. you know, The, the thing I was thinking about here was maybe it's a good thing that the, you know, the demand's going up on this stuff and the price is obviously going to go up as a result because mm-hmm. I would venture to say that what they'll find just as far as rates, timing, and just the best practices of this stuff that people are probably putting down way too much for what they need. You know, just as we've found Way too much. Other, uh,
2: right. mm-hmm. And may I also add, at the wrong time, because... I was going to
1: say, that's, that's part of it. Yeah,
2: because wrong, wrong rate, wrong time, Uh, your application is all wrong from that point on, because what would typically happen, like, for example, if you apply a biosolid or sludge to crop fields or even lawns in the late fall is all that phosphorus or a lot of that phosphorus and nitrogen that you were hoping to benefit from then waits for the snow to melt in the spring where it then all runs off the land.
1: Am I right? yeah You're exactly I mean, right. what about what about you know we hear I thought though that if you just left it in the bag in your garage, it's the same as applying it to your lawn and it stays out there all winter I mean, I saw that on Instagram. I thought that's the way it works. is it not guys? somehow it works it doesn't work I mean, and anyway, uh Instagram
2: and social media to me has become. The equivalent of a sewage treatment plant, in that a lot of it is full of
3: shit.
0: That's that's <laughs> the boomer in you, Ray. That is the boomer in you. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> uh, all right, that was our timer, but we got uh, we got a couple more things we need to get to here. Tonight, so we're gonna move this on. Um, real quick, real quick, and this is this is incredibly important and something that needs to be highlighted. One one of our own, one of our members, right here right here who goes by paul's landscape right here right now i kind of want to sing when i say that but i'm but i'm not i'm gonna i'm gonna (laughs) one turf technician of the year for 2021 so i want to give a big round of applause for paul's landscapes for absolutely blowing it out and i think i think this is important you know because one it's difficult in this industry to get recognized right and number two, uh, you know not everybody is going to enter into this and get so psyched about it to be able to leave a, a lasting impact. And, and, that's, and that's exactly what he did. He worked his ass off. He put his head in the books. He learned as much as he absolutely could. And he's being recognized for it. And I don't think there's anybody more deserving of it. So kudos to you, sir. Absolutely congratulations.
1: <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. Hey, listen, a guy that took their book of business, uh, Ray exponentially higher right and you know that Huge. to me tells that the guy has the management chops he's got the desire you know the will to win so and so to speak but tells me to be smart right and i i think you know i'm not going to say that um you know we're we're any shred of a reason that he did i just think like to think he likes to spend time here with us and the group that we have here but uh you know again can't uh, can't go let this go by without being recognized. It's certainly something that we all, we like to surround ourselves with high performing people that do a great job, and this is just evidence of it. Gentlemen, you're in great company, right? And there's this Listen, us, us three shitbags.
0: If Paul if Paul <laughs> comes to us for entertainment, then we're doing something right. That's all I'm going to say. That that is is my target demographic right there. So uh, you know we're we're winning somewhere on this front.
1: Absolutely. Congratulations Paul.
0: Uh, Congrats, we're going to kind of kind of blow through this real quick but uh, I think it's important to to go ahead and at least bring up uh this article here and it says farmers asked US Justice Department to investigate fertilizer price uh price spikes. The group which has more than 6,000 farmer and rural members alleges fertilizer companies are setting prices not based on basic supply and demand but rather on the price the farmer the farmer is paid for their commodity crops which is kind of interesting, but I'm going to skip down here and talk about the consolidation of the U.S. fertilizer industry. Uh, Since the 1980s, consolidation of the U.S. fertilizer industry has shrunk the sector from 46 firms to 13. Two companies, Nutrien uh, and Mosaic, control 93% of the North American potash market. According to a 2020 report, other dominant firms include Yara USA and CF Industries. There's a potential in the way this industry is structured to really exploit farmers. Uh, ben Pratt, Senior Vice President for Public Affairs at Mosaic, denied that fertilizer companies set prices and said that current spikes is due to curtailed exports from certain nations, including China, and strong global demand, among many factors. The other three top fertilizer companies did not immediately respond to requests for a comment. The DOJ also did not immediately re- respond to requests for a comment. The Biden administration has pledged to take action on the agricultural sector cons- consolidation, which farmers have long said squeezed their profits. The DOJ recently investigated allegations of price fixing by the largest poultry companies, leading to several indictments in price manipulation in the cattle market. Uh, Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack recently said his department would also look into seed patents. And, you know, I I think that consolidation thing is very, very important to touch on. And I kind of made some notes on this. Right. So. Nutrien was the merger between two gigantic, huge powerhouses, right? Agrium and Potash Corp joined. And uh, that merger gave Nutrien $20 billion in spending capital, $20 billion in cash. And what did they do with that money? They bought up a metric shit ton of companies. And even if you had, if you had a good pipeline of products, regardless of what you had already developed if you had a pipeline of potential products coming on they were scooping you up and this is everything from biologicals oh who was the uh who was the humic company that had the the ultra ultra thick humic from out west um i cannot remember they have uh they they've kind of they've kind of fallen off a little bit since Nutrient bottom ultra ultra thick. yes yes it's, it was very thick, and their whole manufacturing process was taking that leftover humic sludge and reintroducing it back into the product. I can't think of who they are at the top of my head. But, um, you know, for instance, that was one of, their big, one of their big purchases. Well, I say big. And the whole reason they bought them, and this was according to the sale documents, was purely because of the products they had in the pipeline. Well, guess what? Those products they had in the pipeline never saw the light of day, never made it to market. Um, but it was like a twenty million dollar transaction that took place, so that's a major one. The hey. most recent one. Oh.
1: Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, whatever that product is, I hope it gets renamed Hume Thick. Few <laughs> C's. I,
0: I will think of that company here, and and I'll I'll bring. What it were up you going to say?
1: I'm sorry, I interrupted you.
0: Well, the 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 most recent major merger. Uh, Uh, is uh, Coke, Turf, and Ornamental uh, ornamental Division merged with uh, Turf Care Supply, TCS. So Coke, TCS merged, Mm. and we've informed Allied Nutrients. Major, major competitors there coming together, and this is – after, you know, Coke at one time owned the Polyon patent, right? That, uh, that Harold's is known for and was, was selling through. And then they sold that back to them and they had their competing, uh, duration and TCS was the manufacturer of duration. And they said, well, instead of having all this, you know, around passed around or whatever, we'll just go ahead and merge and lock up that, that sector and merge our customer pools and, and continue to rake in, uh, major amounts of money. Now, we see here Mosaic saying, no, oh, there's a whole host of a variety of factors that are, that are creating the problems here, when in reality, Mosaic was the one who lobbied against foreign imported fertilizer, and, and I don't see that mentioned in this article, and that's an important piece of the puzzle. Mosaic was the dominant lobby against any UAN coming from Russia because they said it was priced unfairly, or Trinidad and Tobago, or the Middle East. And also led to what happened with Russia, too, saying they weren't going to do that. So, you know, is all of this fixed? I don't know. I, You know, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't see it or whatever. But um, there's been a lot of, of of pieces of the puzzle that were put into place that allowed what we're going through right now to be as exaggerated as it is in terms of availability. So I don't feel comfortable saying that, yeah, they orchestrated this whole damn thing. There was a lot of uh, there was a lot of pieces that had to fall into place. Um, so again, I don't think it's, it's conspiratorial that they're, uh, price fixing in the, in the commodity space, but I can see why they could think that because of the, uh, the centralization of power, uh, and the, uh, the monopolization that's, that's taking place within the industry. And it leaves all of us of, you know, fucked
1: for lack of a better word. (laughs) (laughs) It was so eloquent. It was so eloquent. And then right at the end. (laughs)
0: <laughs> demonetized
1: <laughs> oh well yeah, that, that was my takeaway too on the article was just the again the consolidation in the marketplace and I think personal opinion right that's what we're here to share is there's no way that this isn't somewhat cooked a little bit right there's no way that uh, market forces and um you know the invisible hand are at play here and everything is just all hunky dory. I mean, there can't be like what? Okay. Okay. Let's talk about this real quick. Cause I know we're back up against it on time on this segment, but you know, look at what nutrient did with the mines, right? In Canada, like can't tell me that, Hey, listen, I understand maybe they weren't profitable, Ray, Maybe that they, you know, they had antiquated equipment and things like that didn't make business sense to keep those open. But you can't tell me that somebody wasn't like, "Oh yeah, boys, prices only going anywhere but up, right?"
2: And we're gonna and we're gonna make sure that the prices go up by clamping down on the uh, supply. You know, behind the scenes. Hopefully, we don't get caught. Hopefully, everybody. It's too freaking stupid to see what's going on because this is a tale as old as time. Buy something up and then shut it down and watch the price go up on that commodity. And then you can justify your price increase.
1: No doubt. And I think, you know, it's something. I just saw and we'll we'll get it on here uh for next week. But, you know, something that we've been talking about of what's it going to take for people to notice everything like that? Like, listen, nobody gives a shit that somebody's True Green plan went up $250 for 2022. However, mm-hmm. food prices have been going up significantly and we've been saying on here now for uh mo- weeks if not months about when is somebody going to take notice? Well, I'll tell you what, gentlemen, I'm starting to see in the mainstream media, articles about this and the impact that fertilizer and commodity prices are starting to have on food prices. So it's starting to get picked up on at that level. Maybe that exerts a little bit of influence and if not pressure on these companies, uh, you know, at least scrutiny, right, to see, hey, all right, what's going on here? Because, you know, those guys have been able to fly under the radar for a long, long time. There's way bigger, you know, fish to fry. but now. Again, the food price thing is really what's going to bring this to a head.
2: I think so, too, because we, you know, in countries like the United States, we don't have a good excuse for scarcity, I don't think. And even for me personally, uh, food should be relatively abundant because all the restaurants and hotels are still shut. So you can't tell me that all the hotels and restaurants are making things scarce because demand is low because of the pandemic situation. Demand is low. So what is driving up prices and lack of supply? I mean, that's, that's how I'll state it. a lack of supply. What, what is causing that? <laughs>
1: We'll soon find out, I think
0: no doubt, um gentlemen, I want to talk about this week's sponsor. you know we are moving into the time of year where it's it's important to remember uh the reason for the season, right, and I don't think there could possibly be a better sponsor than um when you think about your loved ones right i i feel i feel like the christmas season is a time to remember your your family uh your 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 children your loved ones and uh and that it's 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 more to give than receive um you know think about all the people that have done don't they i've i've just had so many people done so many wonderful things for me you know so it's only fitting this week's sponsor is santa if you don't know if you don't know santa uh, I suggest you, you, get, you get your head in a book. And this is what was submitted to us for, for Santa in order to sponsor this episode. I said, Wonder what it's like owning a fleet of reindeer? They ever poop mid flight? How many elves have died in the North Pole <laughs> labor camps? Now's your chance to ask Santa because on December 23rd, he'll be live on Thursday, Thursday. Head over to thegrassfactor.tv forward slash Santa to submit your question. Gentlemen, we are going to have Santa Claus live on Thirsty Thursday, Thursday. And the only thing we ask you to do is head to thegrassfactor.tv/santa and submit a question. This is your opportunity. This is once in a lifetime opportunity. Do you understand the strings we had to pull? Do you understand how many souls of children we had to donate in order to get <laughs> Santa on this on this show? <laughs> but we did it. Um, not very gracefully, but we were able we were able to strike a deal uh, strike a deal with some with some vans in uh, in East Asia. And get the deal done, and we've got Santa coming on. Thegrassfactor.tv <laughs> forward slash Santa. Submit your question, and, uh, and we're going to— This is going to be great. I'm just telling
1: you. Matt, we didn't tell you about the last part of, the, of his contract as part of this, right? So yeah. the last part was you got to put a centipede lawn at his place in the North Pole, and you have to maintain it in
3: 2022.
1: Oh! <laughs> <laughs> it's been real, guys. He's on he's on
3: <laughs> Listen.
0: I I, I realized Mrs. I, was Claus. On, I was on radio and I couldn't portray me throwing my headset down, so I had to I had to beat on the microphone as if I was walking away.
1: Mrs. Claus has specifically said she would appreciate if the lawn boy would wear one of those mesh tank tops so she can see through. Maybe catch a glimpse of your nipples, okay? I don't Whoa. know if that's PPE or not. We'll have, to ask, we'll have to ask Big Ron if that fits in with his PPE plan. We'll watch the video on that. But, hey, I'm just telling you what we had to do, all right? Fucker <laughs> drives a hard bargain, but... Listen, listen. We sold you out.
0: Nike counts for PPE in the North Pole. That's all you need to know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right, gentlemen, let's move
0: into this week's Burns Yes, yes, that is correct, Sheila. And in uh, the first one here I wanted to talk about was an article that came out from uh, our our friend, our favorite friend over at the Asian turf grass Center. And this is Dr. Michael Woods here. And he says, zoysia, water use and fact checking. And the whole reason I brought this up was that we had a comment from someone one night that said, why do we not recommend uh, more environmentally grasses that are more water tolerant. And what was recommended was buffalo grass as as one of them. And uh, and some hybridized, uh, not even a, a hybridizer, vegetatively derived, um, but an improved common species of Bermuda grass. And so I thought this would be interesting. Here we've got zoysia. And as you'll see later on in the article, we're also going to talk a little bit about buffalo grass. Uh, and it starts like this. I saw an article in the Gulf, uh, Global Golf Post that states zoysia grass requires less water than Bermuda grass. I guess there's not much fact-checking in golf industry magazines, but that egregious error would have been corrected had the article been fact-checked. For example, have a look at Bermuda grass and zoysia grass supplied with the same amount of irrigation. And here we have a top-to-bottom of Bermuda grass, zoysia grass, and buffalo grass. This is 45 days at 30% ET in negligible rain. That's only after 45 days with restricted irrigation treatment. It's obvious that Bermuda grass is requiring less water than zoysia. And then a month later, Bermuda grass is still green with limited irrigation. And at this point, zoysia has left the competition. And here we go down to the next one. Uh, again, we have zoysia and buffalo grass. Both have left the competition as a matter of fact, and Bermuda is still uh these, grass, uh these grasses perform the same limited irrigation in Florida too. As we can see here, uh, After eight months of drought, zoysia on top, uh, Bermuda grass bottom left, and buffalo didn't even establish. So, um, in what we said in that one, uh, in that comment suggestion that came from the listener was that uh, any of our newer improved uh, hybrid Bermuda grasses are going to outperform uh, our other warm season grasses, whether it's touted as a as a drought tolerant improved common variety or buffalo grass and here we have the actual data to support that claim and and show that um yeah it turns out actually uh, w- i think everybody knew up to this point that zorgia grass sucked except for this golf magazine uh, in terms of uh, being drought intolerant and uh and if anybody thought uh, buffalo grass was your counterproductive ultra point because it roots to the center of the earth and back well turns out it doesn't like dry weather either so I don't know. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was worth bringing up now that we have a data
1: set. i, I mean, I'm not gonna comment here on you know, Ray sees this far frequent, more frequently than I ever have and probably ever will. But I will just say this is that from the the dogmatic view of turf grass management, right, there are so many of these things that people say and it's doesn't it sound really intoxicating though, guys, like, oh hey, I've got the edge here for you. It's zoisia, and it's more water. Uh, uh, they, like, all, like, they, they say with all this. You're giving me this,
2: anxiety right now. You're giving me well, but real anxiety. It, but there's, yeah. there's
1: all this. There, there's how much of this stuff do we hear though? How much of this stuff do we sit and cut up on right every week? Shit, tons of, Be- of hype and <laughs> bullshit. Just, yeah, hype and it, bullshit, it, it, and yeah. I, that's that's the part that gets me. Is that. Uh, Again, and you know we're probably guilty of it too. But I guess all it all it means to me is that you know when you say something like that, either know and be able to point to the science, or go you know go fuck around and find out. Even like something like this, even if you don't, even if you can't regulate ET, right? You can put mm-hmm. these you can put these species under drought stress in your own situation and just find out, right? Mm-hmm. And so okay. if that's the kind of stuff that needs to happen to prove a point. We should be doing more of that as an industry.
0: Less, water, a, less fertilizer, so is your grass.
2: Okay, here's the uh, reality though, is they do have a point because my experience with Zoisha is that you can dry it out, starve it, et cetera, et cetera. However, it no longer looks green at all. If you can market beige or white-colored lawns to your customers that also don't tolerate a lot of traffic on top of that, then go for it. You have my blessing. Because the reality is, is under poverty situations... Will look like those pictures from that uh, Florida research site, right, Matt? It'll look like that. But here's what happens when that gets a little bit of water it comes roaring back. That is the truth. It does come roaring back. However, what I always tell people about Zoisha is that you'll have a hard time killing it, but between it being alive and being totally gone it's going to look like absolute crap
3: and that's the truth
0: yeah and in this uh, you know i i here we see buffalo grass can't even get established and i think this actually ties into our next article here and i'm i'm not going to lie i got a little triggered reading this and uh, it had nothing to do with chris cuomo or his producer actually this time uh and it reads like this Climate change crisis, golf courses on borrowed time as Earth weather patterns become wild, wilder, Wilder. wild weather patterns. (laughs) This week on CNN.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say this is like I don't know storm stories on the Weather Channel, you know. Mm -hmm. And then they get you. Then then they buffer that out with local on the eights. (laughs) Local on the eights, you're good, you're fine. Go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt.
0: You're good. The 30 or so golf courses in the Salt Lake County of Utah drink up drink up around 9 million gallons of water a day to stay pristine green. That's more than 13 Olympic-sized swimming pools. Managing the turf on golf courses also means using carbon-intensive fertilizers, plenty of mowing, and in many cases, clearing forests or trees that were soaking up carbon dioxide to make way for long tracks of fairway. Because grass does not soak up carbon dioxide, by the way. Uh, in other words, golf is a dirty sport that's wrecking the planet.
1: Wow. Wow!
0: The impact of golf on the climate and env- environment has led to growing calls to make the sport more sustainable, even to play on bone dry courses as golfing legend Tiger Woods has enjoyed. Uh, and it's not just to save the planet, but to save the sport itself as the climate crisis threatens to transform many courses into muddy swamps. The president of the ASGCA, Jason Straka, told CNN Sport how the climate crisis has been affecting golf in flood threat in Florida and in Ohio and Utah, which have been hit by warmer than usual weather and even drought. Clubs never used to have to close after a two-inch rain. Now they do. They also experience sunny-day flooding. Uh, In Miami, authorities are raising public drains to a minimum of 3.4 feet, but more than 50% of the courses in the city are under this minimum, which rings alarm bells for Straka. If they don't go out and literally lift their footprint up in the air, they're going to be perpetually deeper and deeper in a bathtub. Uh, If they think they have problems now in 10 years, they're going to be a swamp. But change will equate equate to cost, which is where golf critics find their voice once more. Courses are just not sustainable anymore. While courses in the eastern U.S. are being threatened by changing rainfall patterns, deadly wildfires that ripped through the west, including California, have led to poor air quality and closure, uh, course closures in recent years. Less dark, but by no means less worrying, are rising temperatures in Ohio, which are being infested with Bermuda grass, a warmer season grass that's difficult to control. Um, the situation in Australia is similar. Uh, they had fires there, and it burned up, that's for sure. Uh, last year in Sydney, in Sydney, there was a 1 in 100 years flood event. Uh, We have a lot, we have a lot of issues and this is down uh, in Iceland, a renowned Icelandic architect and founder of Eureka Golf, a company committed to mitigating climate change to golf, told CNN how greater frequency of water freezing and thawing cycles in colder northern hemisphere climates are becoming real danger to courses. We have a lot of issues with frozen water and a lot of flash flooding uh, repeatedly throughout the winter. It's allowing that to happen without the water eroding land winter kill to the turf suffocation under ice cover is a greater threat and increasing. This causes financial damage to courses that are opening in spring with dead turf. Solar panels and robotic mowers are one particular option because they've saved a total of 1,080 tons of CO2 and uh, cut the usage of a thousand liters of diesel. Uh, Back in Iceland, the country is measuring the carbon status of all 65 golf courses through the carbon par project. The first golfing, uh, the first golfing nation to produce such uh, an account. The method that is being used to produce assessment, hopefully others can uh, use that going forward. To improve, you have to know where you stand. Golf courses are sequestering a considerable amount of of carbon, which I think few people actually associate with golf. On the flip side, golf is a large land user and bound to being in wetland places. Emissions when you drain wetlands are so great. Uh, Forests, peatlands, deserts, and and, uh, tundra can all absorb and hold stocks of CO2. Of all the carbon held in land-based ecosystems, around 34% can be and grasslands data from the world resources Institute shows that's not much less than 39% held in forest. Uh, so whether a golf course might actually soak up a good amount of carbon dioxide depends on how it's managed and whether it destroys more viable land to begin with. Um, okay. And, and this continues to go on and it ends up like this, taking the drought in California a few years ago, I would hope they haven't gone back to their old ways and they're, they're having to rethink. You don't need 2000 irrigation heads from fence line to fence line to keep the courts alive. You can let things dry out. You know, it, here's one said is that the, are we under pressure to evolve as an industry? A hundred percent. Should we evolve as an industry? A hundred percent. Anybody that gives a shit about this industry should always work to do things more efficiently, uh, with greater environmental impacts or, or less environmental impacts. Right. We should all play our hand towards, uh, you know, preserving the planet that gives us the ability to even play golf or, or whatever sport that we play play on grass surfaces. Right. So, um, I think all of that, there's a lot of validity there. Um, However, are golf courses, the sole reason, um, uh, is, is golf, a dirty sport that is wrecking a planet haps a fucking lootly not. I, and we can point to agricultural mistake after agricultural mistake that doesn't even begin to rival a decade's worth of fuck ups on a golf course. Um, and you know, we, we can point at Toledo and what goes on there with poor, poor drainage and erosion that takes place. Um, uh, we can point. Point at you know Gavilon losing a million gallons of u a n right into the Mississippi River, you know there's lots of things that take place uh that that contribute to massive massive issues on a scale that golf has no even remote understanding of what that scale is so um that is intended to inflame. however, I do think there is some validity that um you, you know turf managers uh superintendents you know if they're not they should be looking at ways to um uh, Im- improve their management strategies i'll leave it at that i
2: i can kind of uh, agree with that and first of all and that that's like a good segue or that was a good segue from our previous uh article because choice of grass actually kind of determines the environmental impact of a golf course because for example what i'm going through locally is how we here in hawaii got sold a bill of goods regarding what's an appropriate grass for golf courses and ryan do you know what that bill of goods was what's that seashore <laughs> paspelum yeah we were sold. We were sold a bill of goods because seashore paspalum requires high levels of irrigation to maintain it versus Bermuda. And that I'm not making this up. Uh, dear Michael Woods came to that conclusion himself. Mm-hmm. And so. Here's what typically happens when a golf course either has to reduce their irrigation or else their irrigation system has some malfunctions that uh, affect the ability to distribute water on the golf course. What typically happens to them is the Seashore Pespelum fairways and greens soon get taken back over by Bermuda grass.
3: And you think you have trouble. How do they control that, right? You,
2: you can't. You can't <laughs> really, because it's actually easier to fry seashore pest contaminating Bermuda rather than the other way around.
1: Precisely. It's
2: easier. It's easier. And so I know of a golf course where basically... The golf course was planted to Seashore Paspellum, but the old Tiffway 419, 328, and Common Bermuda have come back. So now the fairways on that golf course are on a uh, basically a, if the weed control program kills the paspalum TS.
0: Now, DeMay, they mentioned Ohio in here a lot, and uh, one thing mm-hmm. I know about you in Ohio, according to this article, is that y'all are, um, uh, somewhere real close to the surface of the sun, and I know <laughs> you have been growing Bermuda grass there now for, uh, for a few years, right? A, co- and a couple years, right?
3: <laughs>
2: Yeah. yeah and
0: so my my question is is one how are you surviving that level of intense radiation and number two what was the catalyst <laughs> that prompted you to transition cool season fields over to Bermuda grass?
1: so to the first point uh how are we handling the radiation you know uh when you abuse your body as much as i do you really don't worry about you know uh, trivial things like skin cancer uh, radiation and things of that effect. So, uh, you know, it's it's fine. It's fine. I, I've chosen other ways to, like I said, abuse this corpse while it's still alive here on Earth. Um, Touche.
3: With <laughs>
0: are, you, are we in the Matrix right now? I don't know. All I know is that I've abused my meat bag as well too. So I can identify.
1: <laughs> meat yeah, I'll we'll call your meat bag in front of Mrs. Claw. She might get excited. <laughs> now, now that being said uh, so why why do we transition uh the first answer is you know it, it's not getting any cooler I actually saw a really cool graph here and the, the way they put it together it could be done a little bit better I'll see if I can dig it up real quick but basically what it was shown was uh historical temperatures month each month uh, since 1948, I think here in Columbus, Ohio. And, you know, we were anywhere from as few as, uh, like 2.7 all the way up to over five degrees on average warmer than we were, uh, you know, just whatever, 60, 70 years ago. And so that just tells you the story that, you know, Hey, how come, you know, Christmas isn't green or, you know, how come Christmas is green and not white anymore? Or how come it is blazing hot? In June, where it used to be, eh, kind of comfortable. It wasn't terrible here, so you know things of that nature. To where, why are we planting Bermuda grass? Well, it it does fine here. It does what it needs to do. It's got every opportunity to have you know the type of growing season it needs to have. It's not too short. Uh, it's also not very long, but it does what it needs to do. And so for that, you know, that purpose and the fact that uh, you know it is very very wear tolerant, does the things that we want it to do on a sports field. I'm all for it. You know, what they're talking about here in the article is, you know, common remuda that's invaded bunker banks and fairways and things of that nature that is, you know, tough and kind of troublesome to take care of, um, particularly when you're in bent, right, and you're trying to take this stuff out with HPPD inhibitors. But long story short, this article is... I'm not even sure where the impetus of this article comes from. Not even really sure where this person has chosen to go other than i guess matt to your point you know you talk about you google lawns and the first 30 results that come up are just shitting all over lawns i guess the same thing could be said here for golf courses and this is a corollary in this case you know the person one of the people that's quoted in this article jason strick i know him very very well um you know and i can tell you for a fact without you know putting words in his mouth that a lot of his quotes were Taken out of context, <laughs> I thought Jason heard me and he was like hitting me with something. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I hear you. Um, but no, it. Uh, I think a lot of his co- his quotes were taken a little bit out of context and meant to fit the narrative that was in this article, like almost for sure. So uh, when people say golf's a dirty sport, golf's this, golf's that, and these, you know, what they're doing to these courses to make them quote-unquote sustainable. Let me tell you what. This is the real deal. Golf has had an absolute record last two years. Made more money than they've made in the previous 15. Some places, I, I, I've i talked to owners uh, in places here uh, around the state of Ohio that will tell you that they made more money each of the last two years than they had in the previous 5 to 10, right, in terms of profit. So go figure and tell me that something's messed up right the interest in the sport is continuing to grow right it bottomed out after 911 it took a long hard while to get it back but it's back and so let's just see what happens right it's a it's a place to recreate it's a place for people to you know choose wellness to get together to play something uh, a sport that they enjoy and to sit there and say that well you know we need to take it away because the climate's changing no we just need to adapt i mean you know golf courses have been around now since the 1600s right maybe even before that, depending on which history you read and believe, but for you know, for all intents and purposes, I see this as another opportunity for golf to get better, right? Not only for the people that play the sport, but also for the people that take care of those spaces, and so we'll see. I think it's a pretty damn adaptable bunch. I think it's a smart, hardworking bunch of dick grinders that will make this happen whatever the way they need to, and there's nobody out there that's trying to put an ounce more energy, effort, time, or money, or fertilizer, or chemicals, or anything else, that, that more than they need to, on their golf course. Unless you're on uh, Was- Washington Road in Augusta, Georgia. And then that mm-hmm. case, like...
2: And... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the, yeah. Then, <laughs> then, then, then all, all the... the, 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 the and stuff. Yeah, and it's out the window, but you see, anytime I see these hit pieces on... Turf areas, I have to wonder because most turf managers I know of are just reluctant to put out any more water, fertilizers, or products on the area they're managing than they absolutely, totally have to. Whereas the the article and many others like it give people the impression that the fertilizer is coming by the truckload. Uh everything gets sprayed wall to wall, you know, every week, among other things. And nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. Because I gotta ask, how many of these Talking heads have actually had the experience of being on a golf course during maintenance time. How many of these guys <laughs> have had that have had that experience? Because what I will they will to probably- say, Ray,
1: is that most of them have not woken up by the time that the first jobs are finished on the golf course. But go on, exactly, exactly, and.
2: On top of that, uh, the idea that a golf course just waters like hell, no, not true. Because all the golf courses I know of are literally keeping the water down to a bare minimum, which is why, for example, here in Hawaii, the seashore pespellum is failing because it's uh, it's not drought tolerant. Yeah, well, I don't know, much, I, like. I
0: said, yeah. Go ahead. I yeah. was just going to say this. This was accredited to uh, CNN's sports staff, and as much as I'd love to dig up who each of these writers are and uh, and puke all over their uh, their qualifications on why they could do that, I think as we get into this week's returns our first article here is just it's just priceless j Pink, let's roll the returns Come
3: back.
0: uh this is not from cnn sports writer staff but we have how golf <laughs> is doing more to protect wildlife than ever before Jim Pavanetti is expecting a visitor. The guest hasn't booked the tea time, but for the past five years, around May 31st, he has materialized, even accounting for leap year. Pavanetti checks his desk calendar, May 31st. Sure enough, the Black crowned Night Heron shows up. Pavanetti is superintendent for Fairview Country Club in Greenwich, Connecticut, about 30 miles north of New York City. The only sounds of life here are natural ones. Cicadas humming, dragonflies whizzing, bees buzzing, ducks splashing. Tucked away along the state's borders, the eighteen-hole go- uh, courses, enchanted, flowing, flowering bushes appear animated by an opera of dusky-winged butterflies and beetles. A glossy black lake completes the fairy tale setting. Avanedi estimates Fairview has eighty-six wildlife species, not to mention an array of flora. You can walk over to some of our viburnums when they're blooming, and a whole bush is buzzing. There's a honeybee in every flower. But fourteen years ago, you would have found it difficult to spot a lone mallard. What changed? 1,600 miles away in Houston, there used to be a 178-acre, 18-hole public course known as Clear Lake. To retain water during hurricanes like Harvey in 2017, the city decided the land would be better served as a floodplain. The holes have been converted into hiking trails and ponds that hold hundreds of millions of gallons of water. A few holes are submerged in a stormwater retention pond. In an aerial view, you can just make out the contours of imaging where a flag stick, a flag stick would have stood. After the 20, 2008 recession, it seemed many courses would go the way of Clear Lake. Audubon magazine published an article entitled bye-bye golf courses. Hello, nature preserves Naturalist delighted that this ignored a fundamental aspect of the golf course. It's predict it's predicated on nature. Back riding when Pavanetti is like being on a safari, his open top utility vehicle rips and roars and dips as we take hills and turns, blah, blah, blah. Um, Pavanetti knows this place uh, uh, passionately, but constant education, as many supers will tell you, is one of the joys and necessities of the job. This is Pavanetti's 14th year at Fairview. Uh, attending the course with wildlife in mind is kind of his thing, and now it's become Fairview's thing. Uh so basically, I'll just kind of summarize here. What Pavanetti has done is taken uh, the, the 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 concept of how do you, how do you convert a a golf course into a functioning tool and a green space right so uh, i you know i i guess the 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 putting at the forefront environmental stewardship and he did this through a lot of things he did this through uh plant selection um I, uh, what did it, what it, how did they, what do they call here? Environmental stewardship is the middle name of most superintendents. It's not that we try to take over from Mother Nature, it's that we cohabitate and try to make it better. Uh, if it were up to superintendents, horses wouldn't be quite as green or lush. If it were up to groundskeeper, they would be much more natural. However, many courses have found a way to do both. Um, they use, uh, anyway this goes on and on. I highly recommend uh, people to, to read this. And you know the the whole reason this needs to be highlighted here is that it paints a perfect example, a perfect example of the evolution of the industry as has taken place, right? It's not that golf courses are the, 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 the end of the world as they're ever so made out to be. And this is an, an extremely long read here. It talks about all the different things they do, but it's to show that this is at the front and center of everybody's mind. How do we mitigate our environmental impact? And clearly what they're doing here is working exceptionally well. And I think as more and more of these blueprints and success stories become mainstream, you'll see more golf courses undergo this. You, but you have to remember that it's a different way of thinking for a superintendent, right? And and we we have to train ourselves. We have to learn ourselves. We have to train through uh, uh, peer relationships through trade organizations, all of these things have to catch up. And, and we have to have these success stories to be able to implement these things. Because remember at the end of the day, you fuck up on a golf course, you're looking for a new job that quick, that quick. So there's no room for error. There's no, uh, 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 margin for mistakes and, uh, and you're at the mercy of your members, right? So, if you are going to implement these things, you have to do so successfully out of the gate. And as we see more and more of these, then I think you'll see more and more superintendents make wildly, uh, significant changes on their golf course that benefits everybody. Am I talking out of my ass here? No, it's, it's,
1: it's, it's it's become a big deal because it is a big deal. It's not like, and and the thing is, this wasn't like, uh, the EPA or PETA or the Sierra Club or anybody went to these places and says hey you know you need to do x y and z you know th- these guys and gals have taken it upon themselves to do this and to and decree to this and I'm going to tell you what like if you get down and dirty in the industry and you know you know the guys and gals that are doing it you know that it's like a, it's nationwide thing i mean there's people in literally every state. One of the best ones, actually, Matt, is in uh, in Tennessee, I think in the Chattanooga area, actually. Uh, a guy that is, uh, what is that, uh, Paul Carter at uh, Harrison Trace, I think is what it's called, something like that. I can't remember. I'll look it up and send it to you. But anyhow, uh, you know, this is the type of thing that is undersold, and I'm glad that uh, the writers here did such a good job at capturing not only you know, the practices behind it and, and the, the results of it, but also that it's people driven, right? It is driven by turf grass professionals, just like you and me and Ray and all the people that are listening that want to do the right thing. You know, if you're a shitbag that wants to go out there and break the law and do stuff that's dumb, uh, you know, Hey, we're, we're not the same kind of people, you know, we're, we're just not. And so, I'm just hoping that more of this stuff gets out. I'm hoping that uh, people read this and take it to heart and realize that uh, golf is not a dirty sport, right? It is creating you know, it, it, let's just think about this for a second is, you know, you imagine some of where these clubs are, right? Like, uh, we'll think about like Wiley, right? If Wiley mm-hmm. wasn't there in Honolulu, it would be houses. It would not be a park. It would not be green space. It would not be anything that was nature driven whatsoever. It would be fucking housing development right it would be houses
2: and 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 here's here's my point uh on this as well is a lot of the golf courses that i've seen they have the largest amount of mature trees and those mature trees are in a situation and in a place where hey. That tree has got acres to spread out, do its thing, not going to bother anybody, not going to fall on anybody's car, not going to kill anybody, not going to fall on anybody's house. And so that tree is allowed to be a tree. And here's another point about this. This is this article is a good illustration that fine turf And natural areas are not mutually exclusive. You see, a common theme that I see that I think this just uh, ash cans is the idea that you have to be totally, absolutely 100% organic or else you cannot have a natural area. I mean, I run into that because you see, Ryan, Matt, Mm -hmm. why is it? That in my heavily treated, non-organic landscaped areas, I have birds and butterflies and bees all flying around. And they come back week after week. Why is that?
3: They love your scent. They love your musk.
1: <laughs> Maybe I mean, but probably because they love your turf grass management practices, and they're complementary to nature. Right? That mm-hmm. it, it isn't. It, you're you're right. It is not. I think that's the one thing that gets lost in this whole argument and debate is that it is some zero sum game that we play between organic and conventional, and that there is no gray area in between those two things. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Right? Yeah, I mean... All great turf is managed in the gray area. Like, that's that's the mm -hmm. fact. That's just a fact.
2: That's just a fact. But then it keeps on getting pounded into everybody's head that if you manage an area conventionally, you're a monster. You're killing the bees. You're killing the birds. You're killing the butterflies. And nothing could be further from the truth because well,
3: no go ahead
2: because I, my experience has been over the years to be totally opposite of that is i don't see dead birds all over the lawn i don't find dead butterflies and i i don't find uh, honeybees that are walking crooked like uh the, uh, just came out of Spinelli's. So, you know? Oh, you know, the, wow. The bees are fine.
3: Spinelli's.
1: <laughs> taste it.
0: It's, listen, there's, there's a lot of good things that are happening on, on all, all sides of the green industry, right? And in these, in these uh, con- continuation of, of, of cheap shots at, you know, listen, why, why is golf being targeted? Uh.
2: Envy, jealousy, jealousy, man. I mean, it's just pure jealousy because it's
0: seen. It's seen as a wealthy sport, right? And, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, so it's an it's an easy thing to pick on when it's when it's viewed as a uh, as an a rich elitist. You know, where business deals are struck and all, and all that. When you know, really, I think if there's anything that's happened, you know, post. Um, um, uh, the the financial crunch and you know with the comeuppance of of Tiger Woods and the impact he had on the sport is that you know it became accessible to so many people then right because Tiger was such a, uh, a a a a leader to I mean everybody everybody gathered around the TV to watch Tiger play right and it inspired tons and tons of people from all different backgrounds to get involved in the sport and it's not what it's being made out to be like we see right here in this article. Uh, And thankfully, you know, we have uh, conflicting articles that show the real progress has taken place. However, we also have another one here that, um, again, another tragedy, but, you know, very, very real of what's what's going on. And I I don't know. It's it's difficult. It's a difficult position to hold. But bear wins second straight verdict in a roundup cancer case. A uh, California jury found that Bayer's Roundup weed killer was not the cause of a woman's non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, Bayer said on Thursday. Delivering the chemical giant's second trial victory over claims of popular herbicide causes cancer. Uh, the jury in San Bernardino County found that uh, Donetta Stevens' cancer was not caused by her exposure between 1985 and 2017 to Roundup and its active ingredient, glyphosate. Uh, she sued the company for negligence and failure to warn her of the dangers of Roundup. Uh, Her attorney said it was because the majority of the trial was conducted over Zoom is the reason why they lost, and they, you know, plan to appeal and all that fun stuff. Um, I did a little digging into the state of the case, and um, you know, there was there was a lot of uh, 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 lawyer things involved here, right? Where you know, originally she said she used uh, Roundup from 1985 to 2003, but then um her son and husband interjected and said no you used it all the way up to 2017 and then uh she was like oh yeah you're right i used it all the way up to 2017 and then you know when i did spray it i sprayed it with uh with short sleeves uh sh- shirt on and no shoes and and no socks and uh oh my god and then, there's another yeah 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 and uh, and a lot mm-hmm. of times the wind would blow and it would land on her skin and she wouldn't wash it off uh, because there wasn't adequate warnings on it that that needed to take place. Oh my so god! It's 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 a it's a pretty interesting read and you got to remember this was you know a multi-month trial here um, and you know she said she was in perpetual pain. She changed her story because uh, she's she's fading mentally uh, due to the progression of the non hodgsons lymphoma. Um, however you know is it's almost an identical trial to the ones we saw before uh in, in terms of you know it's the same expert witnesses on both sides that are testifying you know Sawyer, who was the expert witness for uh the plaintiff here um you know he he's the one that has managed to uh, put, put together the data in such a way that um his specific statement is that uh if you look at his epidemiological studies. Glyphosate doubles the risk of developing non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, so, anyway, it's it's a lot of shenanigans. I highly recommend uh, people go read, learn about this because um, it's good. If if nothing else, regardless of which side of the aisle you fall um, on, this it, these are these are good data sets that need to be looked through and and develop your own opinion on because um, you know it's it's again cancer is tragedy tragedy and you know we we humans love to find some sort of explanation for tragedy and sometimes there's just not
2: um there. go ahead okay non-hodgkin's lymphoma i consider that as a rule to be a rather rare cancer it's very rare and the normal Source or origin of non Hodgkin's lymphoma is normally some kind of a genetic defect. And the reason why I can say that again is a lot of the actual carcinogens that have been positively correlated to non Hodgkin's lymphoma and similar cancers all got regulated out of existence because, for example, One of the more common you know elictors of something like non-Hodgkin's lymphoma was chlorinated hydrocarbons or benzene. And those two Mm. classes of chemicals are just good luck being exposed to that anymore because all of those things are now highly regulated environmental pollutants. Your chance of coming in contact with something like that is Flint to none, you know, in this day and age. And I'm going to date back to even 1985 because do you know when the first, uh, what I consider the first chemical cull regarding pesticides happened? The first cull happened right in the 1980s, early 1980s, when it was decided to bring glyphosate onto the market due to its good safety profile. And at the same time that Roundup got introduced, many manufacturers made the decision or were ordered by the EPA to withdraw their products from the market due to their high potential for causing cancer and other adverse effects. Hmm. So, yeah, that that happened in the 1980s when glyphosate came around. Manufacturers made a decision or were told, get your stuff off the market because this is no bueno.
1: It hurts you people. Know, we, we talked about the science and some of the, the players and people that have been mm-hmm. pulled into and kicked out of the game when it comes to this mm-hmm. stuff. You know, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at this, is, you know, Science, for the most part, in the public domain is out the window, right It is now in the court uh of law and also of public opinion, and this is how it's going to play out going forward here is people are going to see this ping pong effect of this was ruled as you know uh, roundup is held liable for this, and this is held that you know roundup is not and and mm-hmm. that 's what 's going to happen for the next foreseeable future, right five, ten years to determine where people land on this and i don 't know I think. You know, I've seen a little bit. Every time I talk. That was the Lord. (laughs) Really? Yes,
3: Ryan. Ryan. Talk to the good people
1: about life (laughs) of (laughs) Satan. I I just thought this was going to be some other Lord that was showing me how to Spray the uh, weeds in my beds and kill all my palms and and plant it, material. It was, but, it was. That was, yeah. that
0: was not the Lord. That was, uh, that was Lord Santo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> He's a hey, Links in, in the descri- in the UK. Links in the descri- links in the description below, though. Right down there. It has got to be the forty-one percent. Don't forget the forty-one percent. It doesn't be anything else. In any other
0: capacity.
3: <laughs>
1: So, like I said, the, you know the last thing I was just going to say is this is that um, when people look at this, hopefully I guess the, the, the endearing thought or enduring thought I should say that I have is that they, they look at why these cases are being adjudicated in this way. You know, Is it because people are making ludicrous claims, right? Frivolous claims, which could be some of it? And how much of it is the science behind what we continue to learn? about this particular compound and what it does and doesn't do. And what some of the stuff we say today could be wrong tomorrow, right? But that's the whole point of science is that right now what we know today with science and what it proves is that it's safe to use. If that you know If that changes in the future, we'll probably change our views, change our practices, and continue to move forward. But right now, it's one of the better tools that we have. And we've got to use it uh sparingly judiciously and for all the right reasons so we'll see what happens here going forward
0: all right gentlemen let's check out this week's mail back you've got Open. mail this one comes from andrew aka goose he says hey guys i got goose. a question for you i recently planted a test plot of kentucky bluegrass and the grass has turned yellow and there's also white stuff on the grass blades so I'll i'll include pictures I've only applied two apps of liquid fur. One a basic triple ten blue grow from Plant Food Company, and the other one was Subvert twelve four eight. Also did a test plot of rye, and it came in beautiful dark green. Just wondering your thoughts on what this might be from. I'm testing both these seed blends to see, and I'll pick uh, the plant I like to plant my entire lawn with. The rye is uh, five iron from United Seeds, and the Kentucky bluegrass is Sure Shot. Thanks.
3: I think. I know.
0: It's Pottery mildew.
1: And it's pottery mildew for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, so whether this is in shade, you, you know, typically, I'm. I'm. Curious, did he say which kind of Kentucky bluegrass this is? Uh, sure shot.
0: Oh, sure shot. Okay, blueberry, yes, blueberry blue note, new glade, blue note and
2: midnight, and midnight. Okay.
0: So my Here's theory you... is that uh, it is not I, I think I think this got hit with uh frost and freezes and the perennial ryegrass he has is just more tolerant of it. And uh the rest of this is is the the bluegrass is just checking out prior to the could be perennial that.
1: rye. It could be that. It could just be a maturity thing right there because, you know, especially with that particular blend with that sure shot, you know, those are not uh particularly strong uh early germinators, right? So if uh, if he did get a frost, then it was something where, you know, that bluegrass had only been up for a couple, two, three weeks, Ray. Maybe he got mm-hmm. dinged up a little bit, but for sure he's got powdery mildew. So that's number one. You know, you got to know that the, that's susceptible to it and take care of that from a fungicide standpoint, particularly when you're in susceptible conditions. And then secondarily is, I don't know if he said, did he fertilize it at all? Did he say anything about fert?
0: Yeah, he did Two Look at what the blue. Yeah, the did. blue. Yep, yep.
2: Yeah. Okay. hit uh, it. Here's the thing hard. Here's the thing is this kind of a product is intended as a supplement to a baseline program. Right. I mean, what's their favorite saying? Is pounds on the ground. Because if you apply this stuff at label rates, uh you're actually not applying very much NP or K. You're actually applying a lot less than I, what I would be doing in terms of a growing of new grass. I mean, this is a fabulous supplement for established turf that's already on a solid agronomic program. I mean, don't get me wrong. This is good stuff. But in order for me to utilize this as a fertilizer for baby grass... Mm -hmm. I'd probably be, I'd probably be applying as much as a quart per thousand square foot per application. Mm. Not this five, five ounces per thousand. I'd be hitting it a little bit more (laughs) hard. (laughs) Well, you you heard it
1: here, folks. The um, Ray does not endorse the, uh, heavy petting of, uh, of growing programs. Ray wants the honeymoon foreplay right into the paint the walls, white sexcapades of growing programs. That's how he wants to roll. So keep that in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Because with the, with the growing, I've seen
2: so many horror stories from somebody either not fertilizing or doing something cute when what they need is Pounds on the ground. I mean, yeah. My idea of a grow-in program is uh, the little do not disturb tag on the door,
3: right? <laughs> is
2: it's Kentucky bluegrass
0: <laughs> different than perennial ryegrass in that, as far as like uh, you grow-in nutritional requirements? Definitely. It, yeah, it needs it, it. needs it needs that extra thrust, hip thrust.
1: Well, yeah, a little it bit. Needs of hip some thrust. thrusting.
2: Needs a little and got it. <laughs>
1: Cl- On the back end, like you can spread out mm-hmm. perennial ryegrass a little bit more, but I would, not, I would not run the same fertility program side by side and expect to see similar results. It's not like, that's not, if I was trying to, trying to do what this gentleman is trying to do, goose, what I would do mm-hmm. is try and make sure that I have an applicable uh, fertilizer program for each one of these grasses to evaluate it under ideal conditions and ideal conditions does not mean that we treat both of these the same right you know ray will treat his future wife much differently than he treats sheila let's just be real here that's a fact
2: <laughs> exactly i mean yeah you see uh my actual yeah my actual life partner no 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 honey uh no coconut shrimp uh we're going to the rib place <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, she, she she clean she clean those bones for you right don't worry that's right <laughs> that's right.
0: right gentlemen we're gonna wrap this up thank you everybody for listening in uh don't forget thursday we've got turfology on Thursday, thursday and also submit your questions to santa the grassfactor.tv forward slash santa uh submit it on over there If you enjoy our content, you want more content, we have movies and movies and movies worth of content before and after the show. Uh, You can head on over to patreon.com forward slash burn return. We thank you all for the support, and we will see you on Thursday. For the Patreon members, we are headed over to the Discord to go pick this week's title. We'll catch you all on the flip side.